Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 46. And uh, today we have a really exciting guest, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to uh, have you guys hear from him uh, as an audience because as I've gotten to know him just a little bit in this very short amount of time, uh, I've been just blown away by a lot of the, uh, the knowledge that he has to share. Uh, he was actually recommended to us by one of our past guests, so if you remember Meg Weinkoff, uh, she was a couple podcasts ago. Uh, she has been out and almost recruiting people that are like-minded that have uh, been uh, in her circle of influence and she's actually introducing to uh, to us through the podcast. So a big thank you to Meg uh, for setting up this opportunity to speak with our guest today. Uh, Our guest is Paul Blanchard. Paul and his father are the officials of the Aug Mandino Company. Uh, Paul's the CEO. He's a renowned coach, speaker, and author. In combination with his father, uh, they combine lessons from great authors, philosophers, business leaders, and their own life experiences. Paul and his father have set out on a mission to teach and transform people and organizations with the principles and laws that lead to unparalleled productivity, cooperation, culture, true leadership, and personally define and vividly visualize tangible success. Paul, thank you for first of all, taking the time uh, to be on the podcast and to share your story with our group. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm sure I kind of breezed through a lot of stuff there. Give a little bit of, a, of an intro and, and educate the audience a little bit more about who you are. Sure. Uh, it, was, it was pretty well breezed through for being such a mouthful. I still remember the <laughs> consultant we hired to write that for us and reading it and going, wow, this, is, this makes it sound pretty good. Yeah. So, um, no, but it, we, we wanted to find, find something that would capture what we wanted to share about our company, because I think what we wrote was many pages longer <laughs> as it is for <laughs> a lot of us when we try to sum up what we do as a passion and a drive. And so as, as Evan mentioned, uh, my name is Paul Blanchard and my my journey kind of started coming from a full circle. Um, I'm one of seven kids. My father's always been an entrepreneur, never had a job in his life. And I was only the only one of seven that felt like that was the life for me as well a really short stint in corporate America and then decided entrepreneurialism was was where it was, was in my blood. Um, and it was it was interesting. There was a few different journeys along the way brought me back to corporate America, but in a very entrepreneurial capacity. So that was a that was a really fun evolution, some some definite major challenges, but uh, I've always had a drive and a passion for people. I mean I love I love being able to take people places, being able to share insights with them, being able to learn from them. I, uh, one of my closet passions is a, is a theater major in college. Um, Shakespeare paid for a lot of school for me. And uh, I just love the stage. I've been on the stage since I was eight years old and, and theater was performing everything from Shakespeare, some musicals. Although I can, I'm on tune doesn't mean I sing well, but on tune. At least. <laughs> um, and then I even did stand up comedy and improv comedy for about a decade. So I, I love getting an opportunity to interact and connect with people in lots of different ways. And that kind of brought me to where I am today, president of the Augmentino Leadership Institute. And I, I handle operations for the company, but also we don't allow any of our, our high level leaders to to run any major part of the company without also being on the front lines of coaching or speaking or engaging with our clients because it keeps kind of the heartbeat of the company intact even when we're in a, an executive meeting to make sure that we're all you know really out there doing what we're trying to build this company into so that's me 
Well, awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, when we talked earlier, uh, a little bit in the pre-show, um, I kind of drilled down a little bit on some of the past experiences that you have, because really when you dig into kind of your path from uh, college into the, the corporate world, into the entrepreneurial world, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was for a while, uh, you were uh, you worked very closely with Jack Welch, uh, with the Jack Welch MBA program, uh, to the point where you're actually running that program. And so when we were talking before, it was one of those things where to get to that level, and especially at such a young age, how old were you when that happened? Oh, man, when was that? That would have been 2000, 2010, somewhere around 2010. I, I got the call and it was a really interesting exchange. Um, was working out of Salt Lake City for Strayer University as a director of admissions, and then was called and said, hey, you're, you're being considered on a short list of people that we, we want to be the director of the Jack Welch Management Institute. I said, that's awesome. Uh, embarrassingly, I said, well, who's Jack Welch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really my generation, not my, not my forte. I was, I was more of a Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill and Og Mandino, obviously, kind of guy. Um, John Maxwell's, you know, the, the more entrepreneurial personal development kind of side. And I quickly grabbed his two best selling books, Winning and Straight from the Gut, and just digested them on the, uh, on the airplane ride over into my hotel. And then I found out after the fact, after I was offered the job, that I was a very short list. I was the only one on it. Um, Those are the best kinds of lists. So, yeah. <laughs> it would me a little more leverage to have known that beforehand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I got to know. I, I really, those of you who don't listen to the podcast who don't know who Jack Welch is, like me, uh, Jack's considered the greatest CEO in American history. He was the CEO of General Electric for twenty years, and when he took over, it was worth about fourteen billion dollars in market capitalization. Wow! When he retired twenty years later, it was worth over four hundred billion dollars. It was the largest most profitable company in the world when he retired. Um, and he, he's famous for some very particular management techniques. Um, I had the pleasure of getting to know the man before I got to know the media, because anyone in a position like that, the media is always going to have their, their, uh, their own perspective. But uh, an incredible leader, one of the most intuitive people I've ever met in my life, someone that has, has driven as he is, he does balance it with an incredible, real, authentic care for people. Um, he's very aggressive for what he wants to accomplish because he knows that's what's going to help people the most is to, is to as the title of his book says, to win. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing opportunity to step in as the director of admissions and be responsible for, for the growth of that MBA program. And I got an opportunity to contribute on, on several different areas of the growth of that program and and sitting on the on the leadership team to do that. A lot of pinch me moments. I mean, even a, a week after I had flown out to Washington, DC for that interview, I'm sitting in a boardroom with Jack. And I'm sitting across from him and we're talking about what we're gonna do to revolutionize the MBA industry and, and why his program's gonna be differentiated and all these different things. And it was an amazing ride. It was kind of eating crow at the time as well because when I left corporate America at 22 years old and decided, you know, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't need someone else telling me how much I can make. Um, I left and, it, you know, it, I contributed a lot to the company. I wasn't just, an, I, at least I didn't think I was a young entitled punk. I felt <laughs> like I contributed quite a bit to this, this hybrid program that this law firm developed that I was working for that did credit repair. And my boss got all the credit, which is fine. He was running the team. But I got asked to go work in customer service. I basically worked myself out of a job because they absorbed the incredible success we had created with the hybrid program. And I had automated my job. So <laughs> uh, rather than getting credit for it, I, I, was, I was evaluated as a young punk and put in customer service, which didn't bode well for me. So I quit school and I quit my job at the same time. Um, probably blasted Bon Jovi, It's My Life, as I pulled out of the parking lot. <laughs> And, uh, and I bought the whole, I bought the whole business pizza. I want, it was yeah. kind of a, a, a kiss on one hand and a slap on the other side. Um, cause I, I want to be like, you know, I'm out. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I did that and left and I got into real estate investing 
And before I knew it, I found myself making way more money than a kid my age should have been making. And speaking on stages about real estate investing, about creating income and wealth as a real estate investor, and talking about how broken higher education was and how college <laughs> was dumb. <laughs> and so, of course, when the economy crashed, it made all the sense in the world for me to go work for a school. <laughs> so I went to work for Strayer University and, and uh, some major humbling experiences. You know, 2008 was, was rough for a lot of us, 2009. Uh, the hangover from from all that and you know it was a tough place to be but you know I, I stuck with it and a few years later found myself working for one of the greatest CEOs in the in the history of American business so um, I don't like to believe that it was all on accident but I certainly am a big fan of having luck as a business partner of mine so yeah I appreciate you sh sharing that because one of the things that I really wanted to kind of drill down to was you you put your time in on the business side you were driven you did all those different things but uh, to be considered for a position uh, for a company that you didn't even know who Jack what Jack Welch was that's that's a pretty big deal so what what do you think really attributes with with the exception of, of luck what, what do you think attributes to why you were selected uh, for a role like that because it's a lot of people, and we just in the previous podcast talked about, uh, you know, you have to go out and get the get get your dreams yourself. You have to go pursue those things, and they're not necessarily always going to fall in your lap. So, uh, kind of going on that same mindset, there was obviously some things you were doing uh, that that propelled you to be considered for that role. I'm curious to what you think were some of those things that really kind of made you stand out to where you'd be even considered to be on that shortlist. So one word, results. I, I got results. Uh, one of my greatest mentors taught me you can have results or you can have reasons. You don't get to have both. Mm -hmm. And so I went and, and got results. I put in more hours than anybody else. Um, part of that was because I, I, I've, I felt obligated to do so. I don't necessarily believe that everybody needs to be the first one in the office and the last one out of the office. But when you're living in and working passion driven, you're not you're not paying attention to what time it is, you're not paying attention to what things cost you or, or how bad they're scaring you. I mean, you just go. And uh, I got results. I, I've seen a lot of people create philosophical results, have great ideas. But then when we walk out of the boardroom, they don't implement the same amount of work uh, into getting the results as they did into coming up with the ideas. And I always made sure that any big ideas I had, because I, my brain is built to blue sky, I call it, I can just <laughs> sail off into possibilities. Um, and I remember making the commitment to make sure that any, if I was going to keep blue sky and I had to match it with, with a work ethic. And that didn't come naturally. Um, I know some people just grew up and they just naturally knew how to work hard. I worked in spurts. You know, I could go into the gym and put in just the craziest, hardest workout you've ever seen, but then I wasn't going to be there the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I got into things like football and sports, I, I started to plant some seeds of what it meant to sacrifice and, and find consistency and, and started battling some of the challenges of wanting it to be perfect, because I think that's what a lot of us run into as well. And, but making sure that it's not just about growth. It's not just about feeling good. It's, it's about getting results in combination of all those things. Now, with that said, I've seen the people that are just focused on results, and that can be just as dangerous and just as unproductive and unfulfilling. But at, at the end of the day, that's, that's what got me the, the look for, for getting to interview for that position is I had sacrificed. I got results. Uh, I, I wouldn't ask anyone else to do things that I wasn't willing to do. And I would work really hard to make everybody around me look at, at better than me, which was, which was much easier said than done. <laughs> well, uh, a follow-up question to that then would be knowing what you know now, especially working in the Jack Welch Institute where, where he's very, uh, like you said, he, he had an authentic care for people. So you have, you have that, that side of it, right? And then you have the results side of it. And I think you can obviously be on, on, on way to the left or way to the right. So how do you, how do you find that middle ground? Because I, I could see in some cases, if I'm only focused on results or I'm heavily focused on results, 
that people get in the way of that. And so where for you, where does that balance come into play? So it started out instinctually, but since working a lot closer and becoming a formal part of this organization here with, with the Augmentino group, I've been able to rationalize it and quantify it mathematically. But essentially, there are three levels to our lives. We process our lives intrinsically, which are things that are priceless, like the most, the most common, the pinnacle of intrinsic value is a human being, priceless beyond worth. Um, and then we value our lives and everything around us extrinsically. That's the stuff. And then we value our lives systemically, which are the, the rules and the structure and the discipline and authority, kind of the, what the, the framework that allows the stuff to work and gives, and gives the, the people direction in terms of plans and what to do next. So no one thing can be excluded from that equation. All three are really important. Where we find discord in our lives, where we find frustration, where we find we feel like we're stuck in first gear on the freeway or we can't even get on the on-ramp is when we start to get those out of order. Results are, are critical. We, we don't want to withdraw that from the equation, but you put it perfectly. It's when the results become more important than the people that we can get uh, in a, uh, create a lot of challenges. The results I created that got me the nod for, for going out to, to DC were the people that I, uh, well, not the people I created, but the, the opportunities that I facilitated for them, the, the things that I taught them, the, the trust I had in them to take on, on things that my nature would normally be, I need to do that myself to get it done right. Or wanting to get a little bit of credit for what happened. And, you know, some of us can passive aggressively go about that kind of conversation while trying to still make the team look good. Or, or we get overly humble and it's annoying about, you know, oh, I didn't do that. I wasn't a part of that. I mean, that's all imbalances that we want to keep in check because the, the results are what are what drive the work forward but it's the people that are what make the results matter. And so if we start every day knowing that the people are the reason, that not just, not just people in general. I love the line from Men in Black when Tommy Lee Jones told Will Smith, a person is smart, but people are stupid. <laughs> I loved how he, how he separated the two. When, when I talk about people, it, it needs to be a person, many yeah. persons. Like you don't have a team. That's an idea. You have uh, Jane and Mark and Tommy and Melissa and whatever, and they are real human beings to you. And if that clarity is in store, then you can trust your drive for the results. But if your drive for the results starts to sabotage the team, then one of two things are happening. One, you're making the results more important than the people or they're making themselves more important than the team. And, and both have a lot of value in terms of understanding that clarity, but both are, are, are critical. And then the structure and the systems are, are how we find consistency. It's how we not have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. And, and all three are critical. So the, the long explanation comes to a short answer and that's balance. Everything in life is about drive with balance, balancing, the, the like I hear people talking about work-life balance. That's a really common discussion in balance. I don't believe mm -hmm. in work balance. I think it's garbage. There's life. As soon as you start creating silos, you're opening yourself up to to put a different set of rules in place for each one of those areas. So I have a different set of rules for my friends, different set of rules for my coworkers. Hey, guess what? And I learned this from Jack. My coworkers are my friends. <laughs> What's so dangerous about doing that? Oh, these are my professional relationships. These are my person. They're all relationships. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's certain inferences. I get it that you're you're going to treat an employee a little differently than your wife, I would hope, or your husband or significant other. I get that. But at its core of the connection with with human beings, it's all life. And and as soon as we start siloing, it, then we miss the opportunity to allow principles to guide it all. And we're just getting set on these different types of rules and dialogue that we've been taught about how to take these different things on. And it allows too many things in our life to be able to hide from our own awareness to be able to improve. And we might even miss the fact that intellectually, we've convinced ourselves that the people are as important as the results. But 
if someone else from, uh, you know, from the outside looking in comes and takes a look, it might be a tough reality check. So just a, a couple things that have been some really tough lessons to learn for me. I didn't always get this. When I was in real estate investing, I certainly wasn't in it for the people. <laughs> yeah. But I did have results, but they felt like crap. <laughs> Anybody that tells you otherwise, as convinced as I was that I had a Hummer and a BMW, a nice house and all this other stuff and blah, 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 that it would just be, I'd be set. It wasn't the case because I wasn't in balance. Well, because of that imbalance, and, and, and I, I know that 2008 was a part of that, but you went from having pretty much the world by the tail to that all went away, right? And do you believe that had you been more balanced, that that would have uh, not been as impactful in your life? 100%. 2008, 2009 impacted everybody. But I've got, I've got a fair amount of friends that had that balance and didn't have the same experience that I did and that a lot of us did in terms of that time period. It did. It, it totally tore me down and it was exactly what needed to happen for me. I'm not mm -hmm. saying everybody here needs to have a recession, strip them of everything that we've got where they're driving to the, the dealership to turn their Hummer back in for a voluntary repossession on their birthday, which is what happened to me before a month later when I turned in my BMW and then had to beg my dad to co-sign for a, an old Volkswagen Passat. So I had something to drive my family around in while I looked for a job. I was uh, oh. torn down to the shreds. And the biggest exposure of the imbalance was, was the, the challenges in, in my relationship. I had been all about the results and I came face to face with it. And I'll never forget. It was the worst day of my life still is to this day. When my wife looked at me and said, I don't know that I can ever love you again. And I thought it was over. And I felt like, like I was in this dark chasm that was never going to end just falling and falling. And I couldn't breathe. And, um, some big things had to change. Now, not everybody needs to have as extreme of a circumstance. You see motivational speakers that have lost their legs and climbed Everest or, you know, mm -hmm. were Olympic athletes that were paralyzed or amazing stories, very inspiring. Not all of us are going to have experiences like that, but all of us will have some kind of dark night for us, whatever that is. It's different. And so thinking about what it's supposed to sound like or supposed to be like for you, you might miss it because those dark nights create some of the greatest lessons you'll ever get in this life. And it's okay. It's, it's okay to have been brought to your knees. It's okay to have not known how to feel. It's okay to have come face to face with some of the things that you just hadn't, hadn't really paid as much attention to as you should have. Um, it's about what you do with that. And I don't mean about breaking through, getting over it. I mean about how you, how you embrace it. They make it a part of your life that, that really makes a difference afterwards. Well, I appreciate you sh sharing that story because I think a lot of times when, when you look at people that have achieved a certain level of success or have shown the amount of drive, I, I think it helps humanize the experience for people because a lot of times you'll look at somebody who's like, well, you know, Paul was recruited to work for Jack Welch and now he's running, uh, he's running a company uh, working with the Ogmandino group. Um, or the Augmandino Institute that you see the success and it's like, it's like Instagram or Facebook, you see everybody's highlight reel and sometimes you forget the struggles. And I think what makes the high points that much more valuable to you uh, and you cherish the accomplishments more is because of those dark spots, because of those low points, because you've seen what the bottom is and now you are able to appreciate the top more and I think that because we're talking about relationships and the importance of relationships, this was something that I came across a couple of years ago as well, too, because I was finding myself making the statement that my industry would be so much easier if people weren't involved in it. If it was just all automated processes, I could get so much more stuff done. If there wasn't emotion, if there wasn't all these other things. And I kind of got stuck in this mentality of I have to deal with these people and I had good customers and I had bad customers. I had good vendor partners. I had bad vendor partners. And I kind of started lopping them all in, into one group. And what I started to realize over time was that was affecting how I did everything. And as I've kind of progressed in my career and, and been able to be more intentional with looking at the importance of relationships and everything else, 
I found out, and I and I I would think that a lot of people would echo this, is that when you have those relationships, when you're authentic, when you're uh, results driven but people focused, you have the ability to get a lot more people that are willing to help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Or if they know that you're trying to help them, they're that much more open to listening to you. In sales, sales uh, since we're talking about Ogmandino, he wrote the book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. And uh, sales is about relationships. It's about that connection between what you're trying to sell that person or that product or that service or whatever else and understanding that person's pain point that and, and create that value for them so that they say, yes, I do want to purchase that because I believe this is going to fix my problem. And you can't get the answers in, in a lot of cases until you create that relationship first with that customer. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of challenges in, in resistance when we start to resist um, having to deal with people or start to resist what we wish was different about our life or start to resist uh, a deal that didn't go through or whatever the case is, we immediately start to handicap our capacity. That's part of what was so dangerous about what I was talking about with silos is people are so convinced they can show up a certain way at work and it's not going to impact the way they show up at home or vice versa. And and just doing that, you're immediately handicapping your your cooperation, your productive energy. It might feel like you're giving everything you can, you couldn't possibly do any more because that's true of your current capacity. But if you're feeling 100% of 50% of what's possible, it's still 50%. As mm -hmm. hard and difficult as it may feel, if you're handicapping a, a lot of that potential and, and so, much, so much of that comes from what you're talking about and, and realizing the value of relationships, realizing that there's a big difference between listening to understand people and not listening to respond. There's a big difference between understanding people and feeling obligated to fix them or fix their problems, which is something that, you know, people like you and I get caught up in quite a bit because we have minds that never shut up. And so we're always mm -hmm. thinking about new and better ways to do things. So when <laughs> it gives us a problem, our brain turns on and we want to fix it. Yeah, that's not necessarily the greatest thing that we can provide to somebody else. And then later on, we're frustrated or resentful or exhausted. We don't know why we, we missed the opportunities. You were talking just barely so eloquently about it's just the relationship mm -hmm. it's the connection that is one of the greatest intrinsic drivers in our lives. And when we fall in love with connection and for some of us, it's like learning to walk for the first time um, just because people annoy us or whatever the case is, or love people as long as they're not ignorant. So I, you know, buckle up. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> And just being able to find the value in that connection and understanding people. Because we talk about loving people quite a bit in our coaching. Mm -hmm. We talk about it in terms of the highest level of love. In the Greek language, they had four words for love rather than just the one that we have. You know, you say, love you here, and you kind of got to figure out what you mean. Like, mm -hmm. you guys say, love you, bro. You know, just so you know, it's platonic and it's brotherly love or whatever the case is. And Love you, sweetheart, to our wife so that she knows different things. And I mean, all kinds of nuances. But in the Greek language, they had different words for it all. And agape was the highest level, which roughly translated means a heightened level of awareness. And it, it's since been associated with Christianity just because um, in Christianity, there's no one that has a greater level of awareness than God. So it got turned into being called God's love, but that's not necessarily where it started. And when we talk about the highest level of love, I couldn't think of a better term to describe love. And this throws some people for a loop when we're talking about connection, where you led us to is accuracy. When people exhaust us, it's because we see them inaccurately, whether it's assumptions or expectations we're putting on them that are unfounded or unfair, or it's expectations we're putting on ourselves that we're not able to fulfill, or we're filling in the blanks on stories about other people that just aren't true. Um, and, it, and it may just be feelings about different things, not necessarily specific stories and inferences, but the, the connection comes from a heightened level of awareness. How aware are we of our own noise about other people? And how aware are we, how aware are we of their own noise? Every single person we meet in this life has a wall of resistance. Mm -hmm. And Augmentino talks about it in Scroll 2 in The Greatest Salesman in the World, just talking about how People have guarded their hearts, built fortresses around them, 
And so you meet someone, you're like, oh, they were a dick. You know, it's it's be- usually because there was a wall. You were interacting with the wall, not with the real person. <laughs> and a lot of us, especially in places where we have to, like at work and other things like that, we kind of figure out how to how to work with the wall, how to abide it, how to work on in spite of it. Uh, you know, or and then behind closed doors, we're feeling very differently about that person. Or, you know, you meet a, a classic example is you meet a celebrity and you're like, they were a jerk, but you met them for 10 seconds. Like, really, <laughs> you're going to make a call on that. But what you really met and what a lot of us are interacting with on a day-to-day basis is our walls. It's our wall of resistance. You are running into people's walls, getting in the way of your systems and automatic processing and different things like that. When you all of a sudden realize, wow, these are people's walls, not who they really are. It's the first step to giving an opportunity to finally start to see them for who they really are. And when the world opens up to you like that, it's a completely different experience. You feel like, you feel like you've you've had the curtain pulled back and you've seen the the wizard and and the wisdom that is really there rather than the magic and stuff like that of understanding that people walk around with a facade they don't do it on purpose it's just the human condition we we all have a need to impress pretend feel fear feel shame at some level mm-hmm. and we're running into those walls that that people have built up and scientifically measured, Evan, scientifically measured, the average human being withholds 40% of their cooperation and productivity behind that wall. Wow. So you're operating at a handicap with someone who's also withholding at a handicap, and we're trying to make the most of that. But then all of a sudden, we start to understand what you've gone through intuitively, which is awesome. We understand the power of connection for what it does for other people and what it starts to do for us. And suddenly we open ourselves up to realizing that life is people and connections. And that's one of the greatest intrinsic fuels there are. Passion comes from a love of people applied to specific directions of creating our dreams. Well, I don't want to make it sound like I have it figured out by any means because I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it. Uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I wish I could say like once you, once you kind of see it that way that everything changes and it does to some extent, but it's a daily reminder and I'm glad that you brought up the coaching that you guys do because I think that's the importance of having a coach, uh, having that mentor, somebody who's going to help you understand your wall, right? And and the things that you do, uh, but also help you understand that it, you're interacting with other people's walls. And if you can kind of start to see that that's what you're dealing with, I think you can kind of change the conversation or you can approach it differently so that you can start breaking down that wall. Uh, I go back to um, something I learned when I was a salesperson a long time ago was that whenever you're selling something to a person like I did retail in the very beginning. And so uh, when I walk up to somebody, they're basically have a brick in one hand and they have uh, cement in the other hand. Mm -hmm. And they're basically starting to build a wall of all the reasons why they don't want to talk to you. And your job as a salesperson is to get them to get that brick out of their hand and get them to help tear down that wall so you can start work with them uh start to work with them and help them with what they really need but it, it was always so funny to me i was like you came here into the store with the intention of learning more about something and buying something but you don't want to talk to anybody about it and i'm like once i kind of understood that i was like all right if i can understand why they're here then they actually they would, they would always sell themselves. I all I had to do was get them talking and, and get them comfortable with uh, what they're doing and find out what they're passionate about. When that happened, uh, it didn't matter what I said. I was just I was there to help them enjoy the experience. Uh, I've heard the the saying: people uh, love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And uh, when I was really able to truly embrace that and say, okay, you know, I don't have to be this polished guy that knows everything. Uh, all I have to be there is just just be a person that's willing to help them to hear what they have to say, hear what they're passionate about and agree with them. Um, and it made all the difference in the world. And it's funny how that will translate onto not just sales, but the relationships that you have with other people, with your spouse, with your friends. Um, they want to be heard. They want you to care about them and they're not going to say it, especially guys, guys, we don't say that. We don't want to, we don't want to come up to somebody and be like, Hey man, I want you to just accept me for who I am. And I would just really appreciate it if you would just love me today and and not give me a hard time. But how do we, how do we share that, that we love somebody or, or that, that, that we enjoy their company? We, we get sarcastic with them and and we give them a hard time and and we, we make them kind of struggle a little bit. And it's almost 
it's almost backwards. You would, you would think that that's, again, that's that wall that you're talking about through that sarcasm and giving somebody a hard time. You're actually building that wall higher to where they're not going to expose too much because if you do, you know, that you're going to use some of that information um, that they're wanting to hide behind that wall. But I do want to have you talk a little bit about the coaching that you guys do and talk a little bit about the assessment. I actually took it. It's called the intentional creation assessment. I think you guys are changing it to your habit finder profile. Talk a little bit about that because I know that before you talked to me, you actually went through all the the different things uh, that I filled out and it was a little bit eerie of uh, how you were kind of pinpointing some of some of the little cues I guess I left behind on my assessment. But talk a little bit about what that is and what that helps you do as a coach when you're when you're when you're meeting with a person for the first time. Got it. Just just imagine the first time someone's ever come to modern civilization, they get an X-ray and they and you can see their bones inside their body and how unbelievable that has probably got to feel. Like how on earth could you do that? How do you know that <laughs> that, that bone is, is broken and looks like that? How did you pull off that? I, I get that reaction a lot um, from the intentional creation assessment. A little bit of backstory. So the Augmandino group, the official Augmandino company was started in 2000. Now Aug himself passed away in 1996. We acquired the film rights to some of his books first. And then that quickly in a matter of months developed into, hey, if we're going to carry Augmentino in the 21st century, let's do it with coaching and training as well, not just mm-hmm. creating feature films of his of his books. And for those of you who have read The Greatest Salesman in the World, know the story of Hafid. I'm very happy to report that we are in pre-production of that feature film as we speak. Awesome. So super excited about that coming down the pipe. Um, we announced that at our summit in March um, as we, we've met with some very high-level Hollywood producers and are now working on finding the script writer and so very excited about the pace that that's moving. But with that, we decided to create a coaching and training company. We went to the National Speakers Association and, and found some of the top consultants there were um, in, in this industry. And they were going to create a program from the Augmandino principles. Um, and they said, we got this. So they put it together and created our first program. And, and two years, three years later, we had sold about $56,000 worth of product and services, which is nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's not very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough couple years. And so time out, my father, the CEO of the company said, you know what, this isn't working. I'm taking the reins back. And I'm going to find out what will and there was a word that kept coming back to him over and over and over again. And it was measurement. We, we, we just created a, another a box set of everything else that's already out there it just had the Augmentino brand on it. And expected it to fly off the shelves like hotcakes. What we want to do is go somewhere that no one else has ever gone before. Because that's what the greatest sales in the world did. 50 years ago, it started talking about things and creating perspective on our habits and the way we think that no one was talking like that. And the, the, the neurological studies alone, and physiological studies that have validated what Og was writing about poetically 50 years ago is staggering. Which is why if he was still around today, as he shared with many people, He'll tell you he didn't write the 10 scrolls that are in the greatest cells in the world. He just took dictation, watched his mm-hmm. fingers move on the typewriter. And even more astounding when people find out he wrote all 10 scrolls in one night. Um, wow. Here's this guy who's written the story of this camel boy who receives the greatest, the, the scrolls, the wisdom of the ages. And now he's got to write what those scrolls are in the middle of the book and, and did it in one night. Pretty astounding. Um, so with that, you, you have the opportunity um, bringing that book through and measurement on a level that was so rare, like, like Og's book talked about. And it led us to the University of Tennessee. Um, don't offend anyone. My, my father would call it divine intervention, just what, what got us there. And we, we got to the, the Hartman Institute at, at the University of Tennessee and started becoming students of Dr. Robert Hartman, who was born during World War II around the, the rise of the Third Reich um, and was always astounded by man's natural ability to organize evil and he wanted to be able to define value good bad mathematically so it wasn't a moral or ethical argument that was his mission and he pulled it off um, many many years to, to pull off but it was a combination of con- Cantor's transfinite calculus which George Cantor created in 
a German mathematician, and then uh, the concept of infinitudes, which Galileo introduced to us hundreds of years ago. And the combination of those couple of things gave birth to Robert Hartman becoming the father of what's called the formal science of axiological mathematics. Nobody on this podcast needs to remember that or even figure out how to spell all of that. But it's to understand that if you do ever take this assessment, the best part is it takes you about, what, Evan, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, not very long at all. No questions. All you're asked to do are rank two worksheets that are mathematical equations. They are proven values in this world. And depending on how you rank them, it tells me how you think as accurately as a thermometer can measure the temperature outside. And it gives me an opportunity to see where your thinking habits are, what what thoughts are being impacted even just today, because it is a snapshot of how you're thinking right now, but the most valuable are the thinking habits. What are the things that your thought processes have compensated for or evolved into over the years? Because your thoughts, as Og put it in the scrolls, never sleep and make you act in ways you do not understand. We started to uncover a way to actually measure these habits that Og told us we were a slave to, those habits that have marked out a path into our future and, and threatened to imprison it. And so we can finally measure the thinking habits that are not us. That's the beautiful thing, right, Evan? We're not our thoughts. Mm -hmm. I can think about punching that guy in the face who, who insulted me, but I, I didn't because I thought Good about for you. It. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> right? I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. It's a bad <laughs> example for me, but uh, I do suffer from road rage occasionally. The guy that cut me off that I wanted to run into a ditch. I didn't do it because yeah. if, if we were our thoughts, we'd likely all be felons or, or worse. And so we have the ability to be what's called metacognitive to rise above those thoughts. But we still want to know what those are because they impact every facet of our lives. The emotional state we're in, the actions we take, the results we create, all of that are impacted by our thoughts. And now we can measure it. And we've had access to this technology since 2003, but it has only gotten better as we've worked with over 80,000 people that we've measured their thought processes and worked closely with them to define the specific risks involved in thinking certain ways. With that said, it's about 6.4 quadrillion variables of information. Wow. So you'll get a nice organized report if you printed it out. It'd be about 52 pages, 46 pages. But it, it tells the coach that you would work with here, which anyone listening here right now can go to augmandino.com and take the assessment for free until it's rebranded as the Habit Finder. We wanted to make it available for free for right now before we switch over because usually it does. it's $99. You can take it for free right now and you'll even get an offer to meet with one of my trained coaches for a free consultation on what it is that you see. You won't be able to dive into every single measurement. That's about a 90 minute session. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to get a really good grasp of what thoughts are impacting your life and what are, which ones are supporting your dreams and what you're trying to create and which ones are sabotaging it from an objective level. I mean, it, it really feels like, and you and I will get this because the generational gap but some others might might not but it feels like a nintendo cheat code you know it feels like a contra <laughs> up down up down left right left right or whatever a b a b select start exactly you got it <laughs> because because we we get access to this stuff right up front i don't need to spend any intuitive time trying to figure out what's going on in your head i just got a, a totally objective report as to what's going on there so now i can start to connect the dots between the way you think and who you really are and that's important to understand those are two different things. And when we can start to understand any noise and interference between who you really are and what thought processes you have, I can show you how to bring those into alignment so you can finally start creating what you likely see up in your brain. The visions that you have, the success you thought was possible after you got out of that meeting on Saturday and just felt like you're ready to take over the world or that book you read and it's going to be different this year. And then for whatever reason, we're back at square one or running up against the same glass ceiling that we did the year before. I can show you the thought processes that are creating that. And I can likely show you some of the incredible strengths that are hiding right behind them, just waiting to be unleashed. I don't believe we have weaknesses, Evan. I think that we have strengths that get out of control. Because mm -hmm. when we see a weakness, we want to prune it or get rid of it or we want to fix it. 
when we realize it's a strength and it just needs to be calibrated, we go into the process of personal development with a completely different attitude. Yeah. And when I actually took a, a different uh, assessment, I would always hone in on what I perceive to be weaknesses. Uh, I would, if I like if with your assessment, you kind of start in the middle and then you kind of lean one direction or, or another, if I'm reading it correctly. And when you start to see that, that barometer go one direction or another, that's what you tune in on. You kind of blaze past the stuff where you're right in the middle and you're like, okay, what's wrong with me? What, what, what did I, what did, what, why is, why am I that way? And is that a bad thing? Or how do I compare that to somebody else? And I think what you kind of have to come realize is, is just because the barometer goes to the left or goes to the right does not mean that there's something wrong with you or that you failed in some capacity or that, that you're a bad person. Yeah, you that's, know, ours starts right in the middle. And right. then if it is a thought process that's out of balance, it starts in the middle still. Cause that's who you really are. Right. I do. And then when the bar moves out from the middle and people will get this, when they see their results, that's where we know there's some, some, uh, over-focused or under-focused, we call them thought processes. That's where a perceived weakness could be coming from, but you would want to explore whether that risk, cause that's all it is. It's not a weakness. It's a risk, whether mm -hmm. that risk is having an adverse impact on your life. And uh, there are a lot of people very aware of where their thought processes are out of whack. And they've been become really good at, at managing them um, versus actually being able to shift them. And we want to show people how to actually shift them, how, how to make it not so exhausting to be your best self. Because when we can do that, then you can become your best self more often and stay in that space longer. That's where the term intentional creation comes from. That is an intentional creator, someone who's living their life on purpose. They know how to tap into that true self more often and stay there longer because it's a fallacy to believe you can be on top of your game all the time. And one of these days it's just going to click. You're going to arrive. Everything's going to fall into place. You, you will be so disciplined about everything in your life. That's impossible. It's not a real place. Financial freedom in most people's minds, time freedom in most entrepreneurs minds doesn't, that's not a real place ultimate freedom is the embrace of discipline structure and surrender to where those places feel totally free because there's such a natural part of who you are but you want to tell me that you're going to get to success if it's i want to serve enough people so i don't have to work with stupid people anymore and i want to make <laughs> enough money so i don't have to care about money anymore it, you want to you want to convince me those are universal principles i'm pretty sure if you want enough money that you can pay your bills and then some, and you're truly financially free from a on paper standpoint that you're going to care a lot about money, mm -hmm. not for the love of money, but care in terms of the discipline and the, and the understanding and the awareness of how it comes in, what it takes to maintain, where it should go, all a healthy balance and all those things. That's ultimate freedom. The freedom that we find out a lot of entrepreneurs really want when we tear the cover off the ball is they want the freedom to rebel. They want the freedom to resist. They want freedom of some consequences at times. They might flower it up with some other things, but the <laughs> processes will tell the tale. And it's not an indictment. If any of us have had thoughts wanting us, wanting us to have life just be easier, I'm here to tell you, welcome to the club. We all do it, but I can show you why if you continue to let it grow under the surface, it will wreck your life because we will, you'll never get where you, there's no power in this universe that will give you the success you deserve if you want it so that life can be easy. If life's yeah, easy too, you don't, you don't feel like you have purpose at that point. When purpose. the purpose goes away, it's almost, that's, you feel more empty inside. You see a lot of these people who have achieved a certain level of success or become famous or whatever else. And you hear story after story of them self-medicating because they don't feel like they have a purpose anymore. They are so empty inside because everything has become too easy. It, it's so weird because I, I, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, you're saying that true freedom is found in embracing rules and embracing boundaries. And that almost sounds pretty much 
straight contradictive to the idea of freedom but everybody wants to win monopoly but no one wants to play by the rules (laughs) you don't get to play the game if you don't know the rules yeah and and that's you nailed it it sounds really counterintuitive i get it but it's actually in the embrace of the structure now that doesn't mean that there isn't structure that you you might be advised or told to follow that isn't good for you i'm not saying that you become a blind sheep quite the contrary you want clarity around which helps which doesn't what's best for where you're headed what's not clarity is essential precision accuracy all of those things but at the end of the day it is discipline and structure that allows us to create our dreams and and it is having an intrinsic drive a passion a why if you will that is powerful enough that we actually want to embrace structure which we know Statistically, 96% of entrepreneurs resist structure at a very deep level. They Mm -hmm. don't like to be told what to do. And so rarely do they ever find that structure um, that will will get them to the freedom that they they seek. But it's because a lot of it's counterintuitive. I I can't tell you how many people are, are trying to get to someplace else, to do somewhere else, to be someone else. And they're resisting their own clay we call it their own talents their own gifts their own abilities because they're waiting for circumstances to change and that's when they're going to turn it on as if that is really going to work you're cutting a little close to home there paul come on now <laughs> hey i went i'm i went through and and as you you so aptly put going through the same process it's <laughs> personal development i wish it was a choice but it's not it's millions of choices well and i think it's, it's important for people every day yeah, it's it's important for people to know that it I mean, these are things that that go on and on and on and we all deal with them. And that's one of the reasons that I want to have the the podcast and have the audience be able to listen to guys like you is because when you're able to hear that from somebody who is a coach who talks to a lot of people or has achieved a certain level of success and realize that those decisions are something that that have to happen on a daily second by second basis uh at times that it helps kind of take some of that that burden off your back to where you realize I'm not alone. It's not just me. I, I, I'm not the unique person in this situation. It's easy for Paul because he's been there and done that. But for me, it's going to always be a struggle. You realize that, you know, Paul and I deal with the same mental challenges and, and thoughts that we're fighting against um, as you do. And the difference comes down to working with that coach or better understanding yourself, knowing those pressure points, knowing where those strengths are getting out of, control and what the risks are associated with that that what could happen if you continue down that path and so i think it's fantastic that you have a tool like this that can quantifiably help people better understand themselves and understand their thought life because when you truly understand why you think the way that you think you can be more better prepared to respond and to act in certain circumstances and like you said if you're if you're really going and, and dialed in, you're going to be that much more effective. Yeah, it, it's, it's tragic to see someone try to get to success in spite of their unhealthy habits of thinking rather than being able to understand them and shift them and, and increase that awareness. But as you put so eloquently, that doesn't immunize you from your unhealthy habits of thinking. <laughs> it just puts you in a heightened position to be more aware of when they're doing the talking in your life. At the end of the day, it's still choosing to override those and giving yourself more passion and drive and discipline to be able to do that more consistently. But too many of us are seeking for for the horizon, for the perfection that doesn't exist versus when people find out, and I've gotten to know some very successful people, just how human they are. But the difference is they they end every day having made a few more really good choices than they did make poor ones. And they do that consistently. At, at the end of the week, the scoreboard's in their favor. At the end of the month, the scoreboard's in their favor. At the end of the year, the scoreboard's in their favor. They're not shutting people out in terms of, of bad habits and bad choices. It's not a blowout. It's a game that they're winning by inches, but those inches make all the difference. And that awareness mm-hmm. isn't there to give you the inches. The awareness is there so you can see the pivotal moments where you take a few inches every day. You get a little bit further. I was sharing this example with a group that I coached recently 
that life and success is about the millimeters, which I get, it doesn't sound sexy to a, a, a you know, an entrepreneur who can just think outside the world. Yeah. It's amazing. But um, I compared it to folding a piece of paper. So do you know how many times you'd have to fold a piece of paper for it to be thick enough to reach the moon? I have heard this one before, but I don't know that I have the right answer. I want to say it's a hundred. 42. If you fold out a piece of paper 42 times, it would be thick enough. to. Now, obviously, it's impossible. Anyone on listening could try and fold a paper more than seven or eight times. And it's, it's ridiculously hard. But say there was a big enough piece of paper, and we had some crazy hydraulic machine 42 times, and it would it would reach the moon. Because the but the first fold, it's only twice as thick as a thin little piece of paper. And that's why the millimeters don't feel as exciting to us as trying to take the big lunges to success that end up leaving us flat on our face in a lot of cases. And then we've got to recover. We've got to get excited again because we haven't learned how to <laughs> tap into real passion. But eventually those millimeters add up really fast and compound exponentially. And before we know it, we've reached the moon or in, in a lot of cases for us as entrepreneurs, we've reached the stars of mm-hmm. where our dreams are at. I want to kind of close this up a little bit. Um, but I did have one more question uh, that I had for you, because as, as we were kind of talking about the assessment and we were talking about those strengths that get out of control or that are um, kind of skewing one direction or the other, is the goal with the assessment or is the goal as a person to get to the point where your assessment stays right down the middle or is the the different sides of the of the assessment where whether it be you know to the left or to the right is that what truly makes makes you and you're you'll pretty much always skew that direction or is that something that you'll correct and then the goal is to be straight down the middle great question i would compare it to the north star that mariners use to sail their ships you want to use having everything in in balance in the middle as your guide but you're never actually going to reach the north star that's not what you're what you're trying to get to, but that's what guides your direction. Yeah, of course. I love to see clients get more and more balanced as they're coaching with us. But I've also had some clients where we have a clarity score under each of the six sections of the assessment. And I've had them come back and their clarity scores in four of their six sections was lower. And they had a few more measurements out of balance than they had before. And I remember one case in particular, who was really frustrated by that. And I said, so if, if you're playing in the minor leagues, and you had a 390 batting average and you got called up to the big leagues, what's the likelihood you're going to maintain that batting average against a higher level of competition? And he started to grab onto the idea that he had kind of started to awaken himself, mm-hmm. sort of plugging into life like he had never done it before, taking on things he had never taken on before. And it had a little bit of a toll in his thought process. It put some pressure on some areas that weren't used to having pressure before. And so some, some uh, thought processes shifted because of that. But he also got to see the awareness of, of why that was happening and how to approach it differently. And so it turned from an academic, oh, I went from a B minus to a C. Like, no, it, it went to, a, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm in an AP class now. I got this. Now I can retrench. And now I'm aware of where those pressure points are. Thank goodness. And I can take this on. Others, I've seen a lot of people create some really significant shifts on the assessment some deeply rooted thinking habits that were not serving them that through some very hard, consistent work that was creating results along the way, finally it shifted in their assessment as well, which was a, which was really cool to see. So the goal, no, there's only been one person in history that's ever taken this assessment and got it balanced all the way across the board out of millions and millions of people that have experienced this profile that is the source. And we're speaking to them today. And I appreciate you taking (laughs) it. Actually a pig farmer from Iowa, interestingly enough. Really? Uh, Yeah. Uh, A whole other discussion we could have about that. But yeah, you, you want to find greater awareness and shift habits of thinking into your favor. But I wouldn't beat yourself up if you don't see a certain amount of progress every six months, which is about as often as we recommend someone takes this assessment as much as become aware of how that thought process is showing up in your life and learn to use it to your advantage. I will put a link in the description of the podcast so that the listeners can check out the assessment. I highly, highly encourage you to check it out because the cool thing about it for me was when I did it, I was looking at some of the results and 
I'm sure for you, it made a ton of sense. But when I looked at it, I, it was like trying to drink out of a fire hose of information. I was like, I don't know what any of this means. And as I'm looking at it, is this good? Is this bad? And there was these nice little videos that accompanied each of the different categories that kind of helps further explain what it all means. And that's, I believe, about an inch deep into what that report really is. Because like you said, if it's, if it's 56 pages, I've only looked at the summary. If it's 56 pages, that's, that's going to take some time for you to process. And, and like Paul said, uh, they do make available the opportunity for you to uh, get a consultation with a coach too, to help further explain those results. Um, Paul was very gracious to uh, pick me apart when we first talked uh, based on my assessment. And uh, I really enjoyed it. it I've, I've done different assessments and I've done different things um, to help me better understand who I am. And I, and I feel like I'm getting a better picture of that. But like we've talked about with some of the other coaches that we've had on the podcast, uh, these guys have the ability to help you see those blind spots in your life that you may be missing, those strengths that get out of control. And when you can have a better understanding of why you react the way that you do, or you can even see some of those stress points that it's going to lead you to react a certain way that you can get those under control earlier, as opposed to letting them get out of control. That makes a big difference when you're a leader, when you're leading people, uh, when you're a leader in your family and uh, just all around everything uh, that you do with your, with your life and your work and everything else. So Paul, I want to turn it over to you to give you the kind of the last word, you know, who the audience is, you know, that these are uh, young business people, they're entrepreneurs, they're people who are just either starting with their families, getting out of college and realizing that life is more than just a paycheck. Uh, it's about being successful in all areas of life. What's your message to them? Uh, kind of from where you've been to where you are today? Uh, what's some kind of parting piece of guidance that you can give to the audience? Quick formality before I say just a couple things is when you do go onto the link to take the assessment, it'll ask you for an IC code. The generic one is 99 and it says that on the page. But if you if you guys listening will do me a favor and share this podcast so that you can show your support for for Evan and, and give other people an opportunity to hear the incredible guests that, that he brings on here and his own experience and message, which was a, a big part of why I was willing to connect with Evan was because I know Meg really well and I know that she doesn't surround her people herself with people that aren't really making an impact for the right reason. Um, so share that. And then when you take the assessment, put Tulsa in as the IC code. So that I can't see if I can't give you a couple gifts as a thank you for supporting this podcast, these, these types of messages and, and Evan's mission with, with this, uh, this focus as well. So just in the IC code, put Tulsa so I can, can give you a couple special gifts for supporting this podcast and, and, a, and a great mission and message here. So um in terms of where I where I'd want to finish, that's that's hard. I mean, where you guys are at, where where everybody's at in, in life, just a couple. I'll, I'll summarize it to a couple things. One is don't ever feel like you're by yourself. Don't ever feel like your your challenges are unique to you just sucking or you just not being able to figure it out. Because guess what, all of us feel like that mm -hmm. at different times. It, it creeps up. There are days that I wake up and, and, and I feel like I'm a fraud. Like, what am what are you doing? And, and, but it's my thoughts. And mm -hmm. I've learned to quiet that down a lot faster than I did in my younger years. Cause I know what I'm doing is really important. Um, and I, I know the impact and the results that we've created for, for our clients and, and for mine. And, and it's, it's undeniable, but we're all human. So give yourself some room to be human in this process. And when you do run into your very human side, be curious about it. We're so good at tearing ourselves apart. So many people pride themselves on being their worst critic. There's no reason to do that. Be, be explorative, be, be willing to be curious about your own challenges and discover the, the truth in them, discover the insight in them, the ahas in them. And that's why I love the term curious because I don't want you to overanalyze yourself. I don't want you to beat yourself up. I just want you to be curious about what's going on in your life and find out what it is that's right in front of you that you might be resisting, that you can fall in love with, that might just be exactly what unlocks the door to where you want to go. Because in my experience with tens of thousands of clients, that what we resist the most is often what's, what's hiding what we want most. We, we almost put our, our foot up against the door we're trying to pull open and work against ourselves in our lives. 
And so give yourself some space to be human, become aware of the things we're resisting or avoiding in our lives and look to embrace and engage in them. And at the end of the day, really plug into the world and the people that are all around you and seek to understand people rather than to, to respond to people or to uh, sell people or anything like that. All that stuff is great, but it should come after a, a real true desire to connect. You start there, and as Og says in Scroll 2, that is the greatest secret of success in all ventures. When we have truly learned to have a desire to love people in everything that we do, and that doesn't mean we coddle them or put warm, fuzzy blankets on top of our conversations all the time. That means we find clarity and accuracy in them and in ourselves. We focus on those things, take it a day at a time, as annoying as it is to hear that. <laughs> All you've got is today. All you've got is right now. And if, if every afternoon you said, what's one thing I was going to talk myself out of doing this afternoon, and you go do that one thing, I, I, I promise you that alone could make a massive difference for you in, in where you're headed from here on out. Because that was just one choice to go against the grain of our unhealthy habits of thinking. And that's all it takes. Giving yourself a chance to be human, being curious about what's causing it, and then just making one choice in the opposite direction while uh, driving to love people and everything that you do. And, and it's, you're going to see amazing miracles happen in your life. I guarantee it. Awesome, Paul. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak to our audience. Uh, thank you for taking the time to invest in me and support people uh, like Meg and, and the YBT podcast. Uh, and, and definitely thank you for um, having that special offer for our audience. Uh, I'll be sure to put that in the, in the, in the notes as well. So listeners, just remember, be human, be curious, and make that one choice in that opposite direction uh, to help make your life that much better. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose. <laughs>